good morning. Happy Mother's Day. It's Mother's Day, and my mom's not here, and my wife's not here, so that's, uh, I guess it's a kind of a testimony to the mother's role. My mom is helping my daughter Ava set up her, her booth for the CEO trade show today, and my wife had to take my son Asher. They had a soccer tournament in Evansville. They had an early game this morning, so that that just kind of testifies to, it's just kind of what moms do, isn't it? Uh, and so I w- before we start, I think it would be cool if we could bless the, the mothers in the house today. And so if you're near a mother, if your mother's here, if the mother of your children is nearby, if, you know, you, I don't have to like go through every scenario. If it's appropriate, let's take a moment. You can stretch out your hand towards them. You can place your hand upon them. Um, and we want to bless them. We want to speak a blessing over them. I'll help you, you know, but um, I know that, that sometimes there's moms in a building, in a church, you know, uh, there's wives that they long to have their husband pray for them, have their husband pray for them. And I know husbands, it's not always easy, especially when, you know, like it's just, it's sometimes it's difficult. I'll make it easier for you. You can just, you know, I'll pray some words and you can repeat after me. But I want to Bless the mothers in here, and, and um, you know, I'm conscious that there may be some that have difficulty conceiving, or that season of life has passed, and, and there's pain for you, and we care for you, we see you, we love you, um, but I hate to not show love to someone because someone else might be hurt by that, so I'm not doing anything to hurt you if this is a painful thing for you. Does that make sense? I, I want to address that. We... We love you, we see you, we want to care for you, but we want to bless those in our building today um, who are, are mothers or motherly or have been a spiritual mom to us. So let's, let's pray. So say, let's pray after me. You can pray after me. Lord Jesus, bless this woman. Clothe her with dignity and strength. Help her to laugh at the days to come. May your face shine upon her. Will you bless her and keep her? Help us to be a blessing to her today and every day. Fill her with your spirit. Give her strength to face the days to come. And give her joy in her offspring. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, uh, we're in the book of John. And we're just getting started in the Gospel of John. And I really like when we just have a nice, long book that we can, I, we just, I just know what we're going to be doing for a while. You know, like, generally I'm the type of person that I can't plan more than a week in advance. Like, that's literally, like, I'm not just saying that. Like, if you ask me what you're, I'm doing next weekend, it's just hard to say because there's a lot going on. But I, I like to just dive into a book of Scripture. This is me personally preaching. I know that we're going to go verse by verse. And I'm j- it's just going to, the Lord's just going to do it. It's just going to land somewhere, and I get to come up here and talk. I was actually supposed to teach last week, and my dad traded me. And I was, I was excited. I'd been looking at that passage of Scripture for a couple weeks. And I want to specifically draw your attention to verse 15. So we're in the beginning of John, the very first chapter. 
John is uh, a unique gospel among the four that are in Scripture. The other three are called synoptic gospels. They give us a synopsis, and they're, they follow a similar pattern. They address a lot of the same events. Luke has some unique teachings and unique miracles. Um, but John is filling in the gaps, so to speak. He, he doesn't retread over ground that maybe they've already introduced. Like we don't, in the book of John, the Gospel of John, we don't hear about the baptism of Jesus. But we see it's, it's, it's referenced and it's assumed because the other Gospels have addressed it. And so John is, uh, like all the Gospels, have a unique audience, a uh, little bit of unique writing style uh, dependent on that audience and the person writing it. And so John is unique, and I love the Gospel of John. And he just gets right into it, and it's, it's beautiful how it begins. You know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's signifying the, the divinity of Jesus and uh, the preexistence of Jesus. Jesus was God, and he was with God from the beginning, and that he came down. And in verse 15, if you have your Bibles, chapter 1, verse 15, there's this, uh, sorry, verse 16. I've been just thinking about this and chewing on it. For a couple, uh, for a few weeks, really. And I just love this sentence. It says, Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. Or some, ver- some translations say, We have received grace upon grace. And I've just been thinking about that and contemplating and meditating. What does that mean? That, that sounds really cool, that sounds awesome. Out of his fullness, he's given us grace upon grace. And I think he's given us a million graces. We could point to a million things. That's the grace of God in our life. That's the grace of God. That's a grace. And then there's another one. There's a grace upon a grace and a grace upon a grace. But I I think in the passages that we're going to address, we're going to see a grace. And then we're going to see a grace upon a grace that really uh, is the bedrock, the foundation upon which all the other graces, the gifts of God, the free gift of God, flows into our lives. And so I am tasked with beginning at verse 19. Uh, This section is called The Testimony of John the Baptist. And so I'm just going to go through verse by verse. I'm going to be conscious of the time. And uh, there are many, many things I could say. There are deep implications. When you read a line here, you know, we could expand on it almost infinitely. Um, so I'll try, to, I'll try to hit the main points. And here's the beautiful thing. You can investigate the truth. There are resources. You can use your phone. You can use your computer. You can get online. You can open your Bible. You can go to people. Uh, and so if the Holy Spirit brings up questions to your mind, investigate those. You don't, that doesn't stop you know, when we're dismissed from this place. Be a seeker of truth. Be a seeker of truth. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Okay, so this is John's testimony. It says that John came and he was a witness to the light. He came to, he wasn't the light, but he came to testify to the light. And I find that interesting that God sends a light into the world, but he has set it up that the light still needs witnesses and it needs people to testify to it. And we actually carry on, uh, we are tasked with that ministry. We are to be witnesses and to testify to the light that is Jesus. 
We're to testify and witness in the world to who Jesus is and what he has done. This is John's testimony. They say, who are you? Verse 20 says, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. So they ask him, who are you? And he comes right out. He confesses. I think it says, I thought that sentence, you know, like I've not said a sentence like that. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed. There's an emphasis there. He didn't just deny that he was not the Messiah. He did not just deny that he was the Messiah. Sorry. He confessed. And that really, I've been... I reflect a lot. You know, I sit on a mower, you know, eight hours a day. I get a lot of time to think. And I was thinking, you know, um, there's degrees to uh, expressing how we feel about something, I guess you could say. Um, You know, you can deny something. You can, you know, actually deny something on print or verbally or with your body language. Uh, you can deny something and leave an opening, you know, that there might be, that, that that might not be true. Like you can say it in a sarcastic, like, did, did you do that? No, it wasn't me. You can deny something, right? You can actually deny something. Uh, somebody can say, do you believe this or do you believe that? And you can say, or do you know about this? Do you know about that? You can shake your head. It's a denial, Right. You can shrug your shoulders. You can say, nah. You know, it's like, nah. You can say, nah. You know, it's barely a syllable. You can deny something in a way that's kind of weak, kind of vague, that leaves an opening. You can say, nope. You can kind of do it even with a little bit more strength. You can deny something. But when you go a step further, you confess. You put it in a sentence form. It has more weight. It has more significance. It's a declaration. John does this. He says, I am not the Christ. He doesn't leave any gray areas. He's not just being humble. He's not just, you know, like uh, kind of just backing off a little bit and letting people think what they want to think. He's emphatic. I am not the Christ. And I was thinking about my children, you know, like there's peer pressure. You face temptation in the world, you know, that you can say no to temptation in a way that leaves the door open, right? Um, You can say no to things in a way that doesn't always communicate strongly what you're saying. And a confession goes beyond that. You can say, I will not do those things. I do not do those things. I do not believe that. I will not say that. I will not allow that. I will not participate in that. You can make a confession. Do you see what I'm saying? And I think Christians, there's sometimes where we are afraid to take a stance, to make a confession when we just can do a kind of a, a quiet denial. I was thinking about Peter on the reverse of this. We talk about the deny, Peter denied Christ, right? But actually, it was beyond that. He didn't just like, do you know him? No, I don't, I don't think so. I don't, no, 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 I don't, no. He said, I tell you, I do not know the man. 
He made a confession, and he lied. And that is a step beyond. Do you see what I'm saying? I think the, I don't know, I thought it was interesting here that the gospel writer is emphasizing he confessed and did not deny, but confessed. All right? And so there are times where we have to go beyond denial, beyond uh, just a no, beyond a shake of the head, where we have to confess our stance. We have to take a stand. We have to be firm. We have to confess what we believe. We have to confess what we will do, what we will participate in, what we won't do. And I think the times that we're in are pushing us into that place where it's not just like, no, or just like quietly walking away from a situation where we have to take a stand. We have to confess what we believe, what we will do, what we won't do, what we'll allow, what we won't allow into our households, into our lives, to our relationships. I found that, I found that interesting. Verse 21 goes on, it says, And they asked him, What then, are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? So they asked if he was Elijah. And I think this is, a, uh, you know, John was preaching at Bethany across the Jordan. And uh, I did some research into the geography. I'd love to go. I'd, I wish I knew more about this. But the place where John was baptizing historically was the place in Joshua where they crossed the Jordan River, carried the, the presence of the Lord, the Ark of the Covenant, and entered the Promised Land. John was baptizing in that place. It's also the area where Elijah was uh, su- supposedly born and where Elijah was taken up uh, before Elisha in a whirlwind, a chariot of fire. And so they thought, this is where Elijah was. This is uh, where Elijah ascended, where he was taken into heaven. And also in Malachi, it talks about how Elijah must come before the Messiah. And so they want to know, is John the Baptist Elijah? Elijah went, was taken to heaven. And so they wondered, is this the same guy come down, preaching in the same place, with the same type of ministry? He says that he's not Elijah. His DNA is not, you know, his birth certificate doesn't say Elijah. He's not Elijah, although Jesus will tell us later he came in the ministry, in the office of Elijah, preaching like an Elijah, but he was not Elijah. He was not the prophet from Deuteronomy, where Moses said, the Lord will send a prophet like me. He said, no. And they ask, who are you? They want to know who he is. And in this question, uh, reference uh, investigating truth, I'm curious, did these people that came from the Pharisees, were they genuinely curious in regards to the truth? Or are they looking for an answer so they can fortify their own position, create their arguments, put out their communications regarding their stance on this guy that's baptizing out here? Uh, Were they seeking the truth or were they looking to fortify what they already believed? I think that's a relevant question, even for us sitting here today. I ask myself that. Am I seeking the truth or am I looking for arguments or am I building a case to fortify what I've already decided that I believe? When you come to God, when you come to the work of the Lord, when you come to Jesus and you've already fortified your position, you've already put up a block. You've, you've put up uh, a barrier 
to believe. If you're a genuine seeker of truth, I've said this before, um, and it comes back to haunt me sometimes, but if you love the truth more than you love being right, all right, do we have any arguers in here? I know not all my household is here, but there's some arguers in my household, you know, like there's people who will just kind of argue about anything for the joy of the argument and kind of the battle of wits, and they don't really have they don't really feel strongly about the point, okay? There are people who are arguers, right? And then when they just, when somebody says something, they may not even have strong opinions. They may even think the same thing, but they take up an argument, a counterpoint. There are people who just like to argue, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But when it comes to the Lord, we have to come with an openness. We want to know not just how do I appear to be right and win an argument. We need to love the truth. We need to love the truth. And if you love the truth more than you love being right, you actually love it when you're shown to be wrong. Because you can line up more closely to the truth. I want to know where I'm wrong. I want to know where I'm wrong. So I can line up more closely with the truth. I say that it's painful to be pointed out where you're wrong. But I want to know where I'm wrong so I can line up with the truth. And so these people coming to John, I'm not sure if they're curious about the truth, if they're going to believe even what John says, or if they're looking for, like, let's gather this information, let's hear their, you know, their, their claims, and let's build our argument, let's put out our, uh, our information, you know, our official stance on this situation so that we can maintain our power, keep our control, and, and keep our confidence in our correctness. All right? Love the truth more than you love being right. John gives them an answer. They said, we need an answer to give to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So John uses scripture to declare who he is or what he's doing. He goes to scripture. If you look at Isaiah 40, this is what he's quoting. I want to read it to you because it's beautiful. I'll stop at verse 11 because you can just keep going. Chapter 40 begins, Comfort comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out and say, what shall I cry out? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass, grass withers and the flowers fail because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up high on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. 
He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Now that's, that's a cool verse for Mother's Day, isn't it? This is who Jesus is. He gently leads those who have young. So if you have young children, Jesus is gentle with you. You know, like, you kind of feel like the world might be harsh on you, like criticizing you the way that you parent, the way that you buckle in your car seat, or like, uh, you know, I don't know. There's all kinds of things that people are critical about. Uh, but Jesus leads gently those who have young. All right, anyway. Um, John is quoting about himself. He says, he's the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. And so John's testimony is what he's doing, but there are implications by this verse that he quotes about himself. First of all, famous passages, familiar passages of Scripture by most of the people who hear him would have been memorized. And so when he stops at a verse in their head, they're going to know the continuation of the passage of Scripture, which ends with, you say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. When it says, make straight the paths of the Lord, the word for the Lord there is Yahweh. Make straight the paths of Yahweh. John is giving us a deep theological statement here. He's saying, I'm preparing the way for someone who is Yahweh. That someone is Yahweh. I'm saying to the towns of Judah, this person that's coming after me, here is your God. He's making a theological statement about the deity of Jesus. He's making a proclamation. So those have, 24, now they have been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why do you baptize if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. And so John was saying, there's one that's coming after me who's greater than me. Now, I think the fact that the Pharisees, this is John's testimony, okay? When you have someone, a witness giving a testimony, you want to build the credibility of your witness. You want to confirm the credibility if you're on the other side of the argument and you want to tear down the credibility of the witness so that their testimony is meaningless. The fact that Pharisees sent from Jerusalem people to inquire of John and they want to know, are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Are you the Messiah? They're lending credibility to the ministry that he has. They're saying something significant is happening. There's something significant about this man perhaps supernatural, perhaps testified and, and prophesied in Scripture, and we want to know what's going on. They're lending credibility to the witness who's giving the testimony. And John is saying, there's one coming, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. That was the lowest thing that someone could do, essentially, was untie the strap of their sandal. That was the, the humblest uh, position the humblest task that someone can take on. And John's saying, I'm not even worthy. He is so much greater than I am. You're asking, am I Elijah, one of the greatest prophets? Am I the prophet that's to come like Moses? Am I the Messiah that's to come? You look at me and you think something cool is happening here, something good or great is happening. And I'm telling you, the one that is coming 
is so far above me, I'm not worthy to untie the strap of his sandal. And that one is actually Yahweh. He's your God. John was baptizing, he says, to prepare the way. I had some notes here on uh, baptism. Um, It says that uh, John's baptism, he baptized people to uh, demonstrate the humble willingness to repent, to be cleansed, and to prepare their hearts and their nation for the Messiah. Generally, a a, a Gentile who had converted to Judaism would be baptized. It was uh, a very humble action to take upon. And John was calling for the Jews to be baptized. He's saying, your need for repentance, for preparation, for, for what God is going to do, puts you on par with the Gentiles in your need for repentance and preparation. Um, it was a humbling thing for John to call the Jews to do. Uh, this, this was a, his baptism followed what they call the pattern of proselyte. So the people who've been proselytized that have converted, which required a renunciation of all evil, complete immersion in water, and reclothing as a member of the holy communion of law keepers. The novelty in John's case and the sting behind the practice was he applied it to Jews. He applied to Jews a ceremony which was held to be appropriate in the case of Gentiles coming newly into the faith. And the, this uh, commentary commenter says, to put Jews in the same class was horrifying to them. He was calling them to baptism, to do something that was so humbling, uh, it was on par with being a horrifying action. It was... Uh, a self-denying action. It was saying, I'm, though I'm a Jew, I'm a son of Abraham, I'm actually on par with the Gentiles in my need for repentance for the work of God to take place in my life. Uh, so that was a big deal. John was baptizing, and tax collectors were coming to be baptized. Soldiers were coming to be baptized. I encourage you to read Luke chapter 3 if you want to hear some of John's preaching. People were coming to be baptized, and they say, what do we do? And he says, if you have two coats, Give, some, give away your coat. If you have extra food, give away your food. If you're a tax collector, don't take extra taxes. If you're a soldier, do not extort. Be content with your wages. That's kind of a hard, I read that and I was like, oh, that's kind of a hard, uh, hard teaching to accept. Be content with your wages. Like, you know, if you're a boss, you'd, you might want to share that verse with your, your employees. You know, be content. The Bible says be content with your wages. But John's saying, prepare the way of the Lord. Something so significant is happening that all your pursuit of material wealth and comfort, of provision and safety is secondary. It's, it's, not, uh, it's not a factor. In fact, if you have extra, just give it away and get yourself ready for what God's doing. Verse 29, okay, we're coming to the testimony. Grace upon grace. I, I want you to see here's the first grace, uh, the first significant grace in the work that's coming. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him. Uh, I'm going to stop there. So he says, John sees Jesus. Now in the, chron- uh, the chronology, the time order, Jesus had been baptized by John previously. Uh, in the other Gospels, it records how John saw a dove come and remain on Jesus. And the voice of the Father speaking, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Uh, John had baptized Jesus. 
Jesus had gone to the wilderness, been tempted and fasted for 40 days. He's returned, and now he's back where John's baptizing him. Uh, And so John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is John's testimony. This is the grace of what God has done. This is John's testimony of who Jesus is. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now in this statement, we could expand it. There's many uh, avenues that we could explore. We could explore the significance of the Lamb. You know, a pure, uh, spotless, unblemished Lamb was allowed as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. There's lambs repeated throughout Scripture that we see. Scripture tells us that Jesus was the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world, that he's preexistent, he's eternal. We see the lamb uh, in the story of uh, Abraham and Isaac, the lamb that God provided in place for the sacrifice. We see this throughout Scripture. But the thing about a lamb, what one thing that John is saying, the lamb that takes away the sins is sacrificed. I don't know if anything happened, if Jesus overheard John saying this, if anything happened in him. When John calls him the Lamb of God, he's pointing to his crucifixion. He's saying, this is the Lamb of God. He will take away the sin of the world. But in doing so, his blood will be shed. He will be sacrificed. John is making a prediction, a prophecy here. Jesus is the Lamb of God. He's God's provision to take away the sin of the world. And I think there's significance that it says sin, not sins. Uh, Chase and I were having a discussion along, along these lines. It's not just that every individual sin, um, like one at a time he was dealing with, he was taking the sin, the whole bundled mass upon himself to the cross to deal with it and take it away. He takes away your sin. He takes it away. He doesn't just forgive it for a time limit, forgive it till you mess up again. He takes away your sin. But what does Scripture tell us? How far does He remove it? As far as the east is from the west. Right? If you have a ray leaving from this point, going infinitely that way, and a ray from this point, you know, like, don't get... Uh, don't get tripped up about it. It separates it infinitely from us, eternally, forever. He takes away the sin of the world. So there's a lot theologically there that we can unpack. But this is, I think, the foundational grace that the gospel writer of John, which is who's different from the, John the Baptist, he's saying from his fullness, We've received grace upon grace. This is the primary grace. He's taken away our sin. His atoning death has removed our sin, taken it away. Not like, you know, I take things away from my kids sometimes. You, I don't know, parents, you do that. Um, I wish, I, I had just had this conversation with my wife last night. Like, I would actually like to take away, like, their tablets and devices, like, as far as the east is from the west. You know, I usually take it away and I hide it somewhere. And then half the time I forget where I hid it. And then, you know, we move and we find it. Uh, and half the time, like, I forget that I hid it and then they find it. And 
Um, it's not like that. Jesus doesn't take away our sin like that. He takes it away. It is finished. Remember he said those words? It is finished. He deals with your sin. It is finished. That's the primary. That's the grace. And guess what? There's a grace upon that grace. We're going to see. Um, and this is what I want to highlight. Okay, so he says, uh, 31, he says, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. You know, I think the dove, you know, a dove is a bird, right? We know that. Like, uh, And birds are interesting because they like, they live in heaven, but they live on the land, right? Like there's kind of a significance perhaps there. And the dove is unique in that it was, uh, well, I would call it a grace upon a grace. Like you could sacrifice, you were called to sacrifice the lamb, to have a lamb sacrifice for your sins. But in Leviticus chapter 5, it says, if you can't afford a lamb, you can sacrifice a dove. It's like God gave a grace to deal with their sin in the Old Testament. And it's like, even if that bar is too high, there's a grace upon the grace. You can sacrifice a dove if you can't afford a lamb. Don't you see that? It's like, I'm giving you a grace, but I'm giving you even like, I'm giving you a grace upon the grace. Do you see that? And here we have Jesus. He's the lamb of God. He takes away our sin. That is an amazing grace. Right? I think there's a song about that. And, but there's a grace upon a grace because he says, um, the dove came and remained on Jesus, the spirit like a dove. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I've seen and I've borne witness that this is the Son of God. So there's a grace. He takes away your sins. And then there's a grace upon that grace. He baptizes you. He gives you his Spirit. Do you see that? Grace upon grace. This is what Jesus does. You come to Jesus, he's been sacrificed. He doesn't need to be sacrificed again. He's sacrificed to take away the sin of the world. All you have to do, I think my dad preached upon this last week, is you have to receive that gift. He's taken away your sin. You just have to claim it and walk with him. He takes away your sin and he gives you the Spirit. He gives you the Spirit. It says, actually, he baptizes with the Holy Spirit. All right, so these verses, you see where I could, like, preach sermon after sermon after sermon. We could preach a lot about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I think here, and uh, elsewhere in Scripture, it talks about a, an event called the baptism of the Holy Spirit where significant things happen in your life. Um, in the in Acts, almost every time that happened, every time I think they were speaking in tongues, there was a, a significant event. But there's also the immersion and the surrounding and the receiving of the Spirit. That I think John in his uh, the baptist the baptizer is generally referencing the coming, the giving of the Holy Spirit, the surrounding of the Holy Spirit. You know, I know that some of you in here have experienced, Matt, Matt's talked to me about it quite a bit, that he had an experience. He said it was like 
electricity going through his body where the Holy Spirit came over him. Right, Matt? He testifies this. Um, but we get a grace upon a grace. We get forgiven our sins and we get given the Holy Spirit. We get given the Holy Spirit. And here's one thing I guess I want to point out is that Jesus gives the Holy Spirit. Jesus, coming to Jesus, receiving him as your lamb who takes away your sins, that is how you get the Holy Spirit. Jesus gives the Holy Spirit. And here's what the Holy Spirit, you know what the Holy Spirit always does? It always points back to Jesus. It glorifies Jesus. It makes Jesus known. It reveals the truth. It, it witnesses to him. There's, there's this, this back and forth that we just kind of get blessed to be caught in the middle of. So I want to say to you, the Spirit is at work in the world. But the Spirit comes from Jesus and it points to Jesus. There's spiritual things that happen in the world. There's spiritual things that go on in people's lives. And things that maybe people say... I. I saw light. I felt peace. I felt happy. I felt joy. I was changed. There are spiritual things that happen. But if it doesn't come from Jesus and it doesn't point back to Jesus, it's not the Holy Spirit. There's spiritual things that go on in the world. The Spirit is at work. Uh, I have a friend of mine. He lives in Odin. He's just an ordinary guy. And he has this awesome ministry. He was actually just in Sierra Leone, um, and they're, they're doing work in different parts of Africa, and he's discipling people basically online and, you know, Zoom calls or whatever, and he's discipling them to make disciples. And all these people, many, I, there's many people, uh, this is in the, the Muslim world, they're coming to faith in Christ, they're having dreams. And in their dreams, their dreams are pointing them to Jesus. You know, Jesus is talked about in the Quran. Jesus mentioned uh, Isa, I believe is what it, it calls him. And they're having dreams that are pointing them to Jesus. And then somehow uh, there was uh, one testimony where the lady had a dream about Jesus and she woke up. And um, there was a Bible under her pillow and she didn't know how it got there. And she read the Gospels and came to faith in Christ. And she's leading second generation. I need to invite John here to share. What, there's so much I want to say about the Spirit. And I think um, we're going to, John has a lot more to say, so we'll have opportunity to talk about John the Baptist more. We'll have opportunity to talk about the Holy Spirit more. But there's a grace upon a grace. Your sins can be forgiven if you will receive it, if you'll come to Jesus, the Lamb of God, and you'll surrender your life to Him, and you'll receive from Him the Spirit. There's grace upon grace. Um, I know people in this church... Um, are seeking more of the Spirit. And I say, I'm with you. I think we want to be a church. We want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You know, I'm confessing. I want to be baptized, immersed, surrounded, saturated, pickled. You know, like more used to talk about, you, put a, you dunk a cucumber in pickling spice and pull it out, it's a wet cucumber. But if you leave it in there, it's, you know, it's pickled. I want to be pickled in the Holy Spirit. I want to seek that. I want to seek and, and experience. I want that to be happening here, the baptism of the Spirit. 
It comes from Jesus. So I'll lift up Jesus. I'll preach about the, the Lamb of God who was slain. I want people to come to faith in Jesus, and I want the Spirit to be um, vibrant and active and obvious in our midst. Does anybody, can anybody agree with me in that? Lord, this is my pri- prayer. This is our cry. This is what we want. And so there are spiritual things going on in the world. I want to warn you. But just because something seems good and seems uh, whatever, exciting, it seems like light, Scripture warns us that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. Here's how you know. In 1 Corinthians it says, no one says Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. Jesus is the one who gives us the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit always glorifies and points to Jesus. And if Jesus isn't in the equation, it's not the Holy Spirit. That's, that's a pretty simple stuff. All right? There's, I guess, there's so much I would want to say to you guys. I've, I'm going to stop. I'm going to pray, if you'll let me. Jesus, thank you for the people here. We thank you for your word, Lord. It's so dense. It's so compact. Um, we can explore it and never get to the end of it. Um, we ask you, your spirit, to lead us into all truth. That's what it does. We want your spirit. I want more of your spirit, God. I know that you've given your spirit. Uh, I need more to survive. I need you to come quickly. Uh, We need you for our survival. But we don't want to just survive. We want to thrive. We want to walk in the abundant life that you said you came to give. And so I pray if anyone's here and they haven't received Jesus as the lamb for the forgiveness of their sins, that they would do so today. Uh, That we would be seekers of truth. That we wouldn't Uh, Just be looking to uh, fortify our own preconceived ideas and beliefs. But we would desperately pursue truth. And Jesus, your word, this gospel of John says that you are full of grace and full of truth. So God, move. Spirit, move. As we take communion now, Lord, let people be blessed. Let us reflect on what it means that you are the Lamb of God. Your body was broken. Your blood was shed. Our sins are forgiven. The Spirit is given to us in the place. Thank you, Jesus. We have communion set up at four places around the room, and I believe there's some flowers. Oh, right here. This, this, oh, the pink flower. I needed a witness. You know, sometimes like something can be obvious, but you need somebody to witness it and point to it. There's flowers here for the mothers. You can come and take one uh, as you come up for communion. I hope you're blessed today and have a great day.